Well, good morning. Oh, okay, we're, we're awake. Uh, my, my name is Andy and I've uh, just started uh, down at St Matt's as the minister there. And sometimes people introduce me as the Kurt replacement, but I don't think Kurt can ever be replaced. Uh, and it's, it's my delight to be able to take us through this word. Um, how about I uh, pray for us? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you do speak to us. And we pray, Father, that you would speak to us afresh this morning, that your spirit would lay these words of yours written so long ago, this ancient book, upon our hearts. And we pray, Father, that we would be captured by them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, can I, can I tell you what my dream was growing up? I grew up on the Central Coast, uh, and my dream was to buy a land cruiser, troop carrier, was to load it up with surfboards and travel around Australia surfing. Uh, that's, that's, as, that's as aspirational as I got. I wanted to just work enough to be able to surf and eat food. That's all I wanted, and to put fuel in the car. Now, I don't know what your dream is. You might have a bit more of an aspirational dream than that. But I don't know if I ever expressed it at the time. But I think I thought, as I saw people doing that, I thought, they're living the good life. You know, they've kind of, they've kind of made it. Uh, and for me, all that changed in 2007, right? So that's a, that's a few years ago. In 2007, um, it, there was a bunch of stuff going on for me. But it changed by watching this movie called Into the Wild. Has anyone seen the movie Into the Wild. Uh, I should have had a picture up on there. But uh, that movie, I remember going to watch the movie with my housemate. And uh, after it, I remember just sitting there. There wasn't many people in the movie theatre. I had a pack of Tim Tams. And I just looked at him and was like, wow. Essentially, that movie Into the Wild is about a guy called Christopher, who, when he finishes up at uni, instead of kind of you know, pursuing and chasing the prestigious, uh, profitable career, he gives everything away and sets out for a journey in the Alaskan wilderness. Now, I don't want to give the ending away, um, so I won't tell you, but it's, it's worth watching if that's your dream. I think it might shake you up. But that movie kind of pulled the rug out from underneath me about just how self-centred uh, you know, that dream of just travelling around Australia by myself was. It, you know how it did it? Because it, um, it traced his life as he did that, and he would build relationships in places, and then in the middle of the night, he would just get up and leave. And, you know, the person that he'd been hanging out for last year would kind of go, where is he? I think it just showed to me just how selfish it was to dream about travelling around Australia. Um, now, I think we all have moments in life, don't we, where sometimes our perspectives uh, change. You know, they can be small, but sometimes they can be life-changing. Since that movie, I never, my dream has never been to travel. It just... It just I was like, no, I don't, I don't ever, I can see that's just a selfish goal of mine. I think this passage throughout the ages has been used to transform people's lives. Uh, as they've kind of got and understood the wonder, the wonder, the weight, the glory of what has been spoken of, it can truly, truly give us something worth living for. Now, what we are looking at here, it's an ancient portrait. It's a painting, if you like, a painting with words, uh, but it's a painting with such accuracy of a servant who's going to come. Now, I'm going to focus on the first six verses uh, this morning. And the, the New Testament, it joins the dots for us here that this servant who is going to come 
He's speaking about the risen Lord Jesus. He's speaking about the risen Lord Jesus. So let me just tell you, this is written 700 years before Jesus lived, before Jesus turns up in history. Can you imagine that for us? Like 700 years ago, so what, in the 1400s, someone tells us who was going to, the outcome of the election for yesterday. You know, they give us a picture of who it's going to be, who's going to win, uh, before, you know, Australia's even on the maps. Uh, But more than that, it paints a picture of this person, the servant's character, his purpose, and what he is going to achieve. So can I say, friends, this passage has moved me as I've reflected on it, and it's impacted me. Now, I want us to, I've got a, I've got a map for us coming up on the slide. I think there is. Is there a map? There's no map. Okay. Don't worry. Um, well, where we are in the world, I was going to show you where we are just to orientate ourselves. Uh, so we're in a, the Mediterranean Sea, you know, we're in the Middle East, uh, and we're in kind of that Iraq area, modern day Iraq is what we're talking about. And so what has happened is God has been interested in one nation, Israel, uh, and he had had a history of blessing them, looking after them, providing for them, but because of Israel's sin and their stubbornness, they didn't listen to God. And so what God does, he uproots the nation, he judges them, and he puts them in exile in Babylon, uh, modern-day Iraq. That was all the image for us. You don't really need it. Uh, But that's where we are in the world. Now, this servant figure pops up three times. Oh, there we are. We've got it. Oh, well. There you go. You can see. It's a race that exists. Um, It's really, it's there. This servant figure pops up three times in this passage, and it's not new uh, in Isaiah, right? You know, you remember in Isaiah 42, they spoke about the servant figure who was going to come that was chosen by God. You know, God's spirit was upon him uh, and he would bring justice to the nations and he would open the eyes of the blind. But as we keep going through Isaiah, this, per- this person, the servant, keeps getting more and more detail uh, of what he's going to do when he comes. So let's have a look at it. Have a look about what the servant says of himself in verse 1. He says, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. So they're in Iraq, in the desert, so the coast is a long way away. It's a long way away. And he wants everyone here to know. He wants the whole world to pay attention to what he is saying. Um, You know what's the most watched TV event of all time is? No. Can someone have a guess? You can yell it out. The royal wedding, I thought that, so, um, well, I thought Princess Di's one. As a percentage, there was 57 billion people watched that, uh, but that was only 34% of the world. The Olympics, or did you say, I can't remember, I was like, oh. the, the Olympics, 2016, it was the most watched uh, game. Let's so say the opening and closing ceremony, almost 48% of the world watched the Olympics. Um, but the servant here is saying that unlike the Olympic games, no one is going to miss out on this. Uh, even if you don't have Facebook or Insta or you're a, a boomer still struggling with internet. You're not going to miss out on this. It's all right, I'm still a boomer really at heart. I don't really get it. But this is what uh, the servant says about himself. Have a look in uh, verse 1b. He says, The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. My wife, Mary and I, we always struggle to kind of land on a name for our kids. We have four kids. Uh, and it wasn't until they were born that we were kind of like, yeah, let's do this. Not this one here. 
Here is someone who long before he was born had been appointed and named for a particular role and purpose. Verse 2, have a look. He says, He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me away. I love Hebrew poetry. That's kind of what we're reading there because it kind of repeats the same idea. So if you're a bit slow on the uptake like I am, you can get it the second time round. But here's the two ideas he's repeating. He's saying, firstly, this servant, his weapon will be his word. Not like last week with Cyrus, although you guys probably didn't have last Cyrus last week, did you? No, there we go. Which Cyrus, who was the, was his weapon was his military might. No, this servant is equipped by God and his mouth is like a sharpened sword. It's like a, a sharp, polished arrow. And his teaching will be powerful and effective. It's a mighty weapon in the hand of God. The second idea we just read is that he's, it's hidden, isn't it? His weapon is hidden there. So that just at the right time in history, the Lord will draw his arrow and shoot it. And it will do the will of the Lord. I think the idea is kind of like that the servant will be the silver bullet. You know that kind of phrase, the silver bullet? You know, like it's the the, the cure for cancer. It will be just the right weapon for just the right time. Now, while the servant's speaking, we're learning a lot about him, but we still don't yet know his name. So verse 3, he says, And he said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So this servant is going to be called Israel. Now, this is kind of a strange name, as you think in Isaiah, you're wrestling with who is he talking about, Israel the nation, or what what is he talking about here? Or, you know, Cyrus. Um, But I think there's two things for us to note, especially as we think about its fulfilment in Jesus in the New Testament. See, firstly, Jesus will do what the nation Israel failed to do. See, Israel didn't live up to their name. Uh, in Isaiah, they'd been tasked, Israel, the nation, had been tasked to be the nation, the, the, the nation whereby the nations would come to them. So they were meant to be like a camping light, you know, when you put on a camping light, like a light on, in, when you're camping, and all the moths flock to it. That's, that's the idea. But they were supposed to live such godly lives that the nations would see them and flock to them. But the reality is Israel failed miserably at that, didn't they? That's kind of what the last 49 chapters have been about. See, they were so far from God that they had no hope of even being a light for themselves, let alone helping anyone else find God. So had God failed here? No, because he was going to provide a substitute Israel, Jesus, who was going to live up to that name. The second thing I want us to note is that the servant figure uh, in across Isaiah increasingly refers to an individual, not a nation. And we see this down in verse 5. Have a look at verse 5. He says, Now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. See, how can the nation Israel gather the nation Israel, you know, they're in exile. How can they themselves gather themselves? It's like asking me to save myself. I don't know how to do that. It's impossible. But see, what is being promised here is that one day the servant, an individual who is a true Israel, will save Israel. 
See, Israel is always the imperfect picture of all humanity, only and ever an imperfect servant of the Lord. But God, who is rich in mercy, will send the perfect servant of the Lord, who will not sin, who will not fail, and he will be able to save. And it's this one that the people in Isaiah were to pin their hopes in and to realise that they in of themselves had no hope. But here's the thing, God has something much bigger in mind than, for this servant than just saving Israel. Have a look at verse 6, the nation Israel. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. See, God says it's, it's too small a thing just to save Israel alone. You're gonna, this servant is going to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And so, you know, 700 years later when Jesus turns up and he, in John he says, I am the light of the world. All who follow me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. You know, we now, we get the significance of what's going on there. We get, oh, this is the servant figure. This is the one where Israel failed to do it, but now he's the one that's promised up as the true Israel. See, God's plan from ages past was going to bring salvation to the ends of the earth through this servant. See, Jesus, friends, he came, he lived, he gave his life so that we might live. You know, he died, he walked out of the grave, and he brought light to the nations. Salvation is here in Jesus. God has done what he promised to do. For us here, you know, salvation has quite literally gone to the ends of the earth. I know you guys feel a bit more centre of the earth compared to us folk down in Botany, but we are so far from Palestine, aren't we? This message of Jesus and salvation has come to the ends of the earth. And it still blows me away. I'm reading this ancient text about what was promised, you know, 2,700 years ago about what Jesus was going to do 700 years later and it's come fulfilling and the nations are starting to know about Jesus. Can I tell you what this does? This brings me such confidence in God's word. You know, as we see, as we behold this picture of Jesus, this picture of this servant, and we see how the New Testament joins the dots together, it gives me such a confidence in God's word. And the more you dig into it, the more the riches and the depths of what God has been doing and how as the more you can behold God. You know, the Bible's 66 different books, 40 different authors, yet one story how God graciously acts to bring about salvation to his people. You know, the second thing it does, it gives me just a greater praise and adoration for Jesus, the servant. He is the one who has won salvation for the nations. He is the way. God has been working for this for millennia past and he has brought it about in Jesus. So we now, this side of Jesus, can live and receive this salvation. It blows me away. Friends, I have another point I want to dig a bit further into verse 6 for us. And I want us to note something a bit deeper there. Have a look in verse 6. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant and bring Israel back. The words too light a thing there is, is like a, it's a weightiness. You know, in the Bible, glory equals heaviness. So for this servant to save only Israel is not heavy enough. It's not glorious enough. 
Uh, God wants to do something more weighty, more glorious, and he wants to save all people groups of all nations throughout the world through this servant. See, it's for the honour and the glory and the praise of the servant that salvation must go to the ends of the earth. It's because Jesus deserves all glory and praise. It's because he deserves every tongue in every city of every nation in every region to honour him, to bow down before him and praise him and give him the glory. You know, when you think about sharing the salvation in Jesus with others around you, you know, a good reason we can have is for the love of the person, isn't it? Because we, you know, we know that Jesus is the only way. We know that Jesus does provide forgiveness and salvation. Uh, he is the only one who's been found faithful. But can I say there's something here uh, far greater, far more glorious and praiseworthy that could drive us to share Jesus? It's the glory and honour of Jesus, of the servant. It's because of who God is that salvation must go to the nations. We have, a, um, we have a glory crisis in our world, don't we? You know, we have a crisis where people aren't worshipping the true and living God as they ought and as he rightly deserves. You know, people are worshipping, are devoting their energy, times, passion, dreams. You know, they're doing, doing that to everything but Jesus, the only one, the only servant who is worthy of all their worship. And don't we sometimes wonder... Doesn't our world sometimes wonder why we're so dissatisfied? Why, you know, we kind of lost, seem lost and empty in this life? It's because they're not worshipping Jesus. Friends, we share Jesus with others because we have a worship problem in our world and the people around us aren't worshipping Jesus as they ought. Uh, you know, are you familiar with John Piper? Uh, he's got a book, it should, I hope we have an image. There we go. He wrote a, um, a book on missions. It's called Let the Nations Be Glad. And he kind of captures this point. He says, missions exist because worship doesn't. Uh, by mission, we're talking about taking the gospel to the nations. He says, worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When age over, or before God, missions will be no more, but worship abides forever. Worship is the fuel and goal of missions. You see what he's saying? He's saying missions today exist because there are those who don't yet worship the God who made them and who died for them. See, all history is moving towards this point. And it's those who worship God, who live for this God, enjoy the salvation won for them, delight in him. They're the ones, he says, that are going to have a fire, a grit, a passion for all to worship God. Because he, they know, is the only one worth praising. Friends, if you're here this morning and you're wondering why your friends or family or neighbours keep inviting you along to church to hear about Jesus, can I say it's because they want you to know, enjoy and delight in the one person who is truly worth worshipping. They want you to know Jesus. You know, every Sunday morning on the way to church, I drive past several cafes and lots of people walking their dogs. You know, my heart aches for these people. I ache for them. I want them to worship the true God. Or when my neighbour, whom I love, they speak about, you know, watching the footy as the best part of their week 
or those you know, who want to go surfing as the highlight of their week. My heart aches because they don't know the gift of salvation in Jesus. They're not giving Jesus the glory he deserves. See, friends, you know, although salvation has come to us here in Maroubra, the salvation of the nations has not yet been achieved, has it? As long as there's people who don't yet worship the God who made them, the God who died for them, then we still have mission. Come forward in your Bible to Acts 13. Um, Acts 13, verse 46. So this is 700 years after this picture of Isaiah, of the servant. The context is Jesus has risen, he's ascended to the Father, and we have Paul and Barnabas, uh, they're taking the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth in Antioch. Uh, the whole city's gathered and the Jews are kind of a bit upset and jealous. And this is what uh, Paul and Barnabas say. Verse 46. It says, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. You see what's going on here? Paul and Barnabas, they've applied Isaiah 49 to themselves. So yes, Jesus is the author of salvation. He, the light has dawned in his coming. Salvation has come. But now Paul and Barnabas see themselves as servant of the servant. They are messengers of this salvation who are taking this message to the ends of the earth. Have you ever reflected on what Paul's ambition or dream was? You know, in Romans 15, 20, he says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. That's a worthy ambition, isn't it? That's what put a fire in his belly. That was something worth getting up for. That's a goal worth living for. So much more weightier, so much more worthy, so much more uh, ambitious than just, and not self-centered than just chuckling a few boards in a car and going around surfing, chasing waves around Australia. You know, every week um, we, we come to church and we see chairs not filled. You know, that's a reminder that we have friends and family who don't yet worship the true and living God. Today is the day of salvation, but salvation has not yet reached the nations. You know, as you drive around, you see all the blocks, you know, the unit towers being developed high into the sky. It reminds me of just how big the mission is here. It reminds me that there are so many people that aren't yet living, worshipping their true and living God. We have such a need to reach this area with the gospel, but if our eyes only just think about here, you know, Maruba and Botany and just that little area, we have missed the praise and honour that Jesus deserves from all peoples and all nations. It's a, it's a message for everyone of all nations. Can I give you two mission stats? You know that 80% of Buddhists, 80% of Muslims, and 80% of Hindus in the world don't know a Christian. Here's another one. If every single 
Christian told every single one of their friends and family about Jesus. And by God's grace, they all came to believe and worship Jesus, become Christian. There would still be 3 billion people who don't know about Jesus in the world. That's just under half the world's population who aren't worshipping the God who made them and died for them. The nations are coming to Sydney, but there is still an urgent need to go. You know, these last two weeks, I had two different conversations with people from, uh, one from Botany, one from up here at Wild Street, about people telling me their desire to go outside of Sydney, outside of Australia, to take this gospel to the nations. They're captured by the glory of God. Isn't that just fantastic? You know, I, I'm, I haven't been here at Wild Street long. This is my first week here. But I know that you have a rich history of raising up a generation of men and women who are sold out for the glory of God, who have a deep passion to see the salvation go to the ends of the earth. You know, it would be love for that work to continue, that God will continue to send people from here to the nations. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a pastor, uh, and I still find myself getting distracted from this. I still find myself allude into the comfort of entertainment, of ease. You know, what, what's going to help us to kind of keep, to stoke the fire within us, to keep our vision on these eternal realities of what God is doing uh, for the salvation to the reach the ends of the earth? I have a couple of photos for you. Oh, okay, there we go. That's, that's uh, life. You know, at the moment, there's six people checking out uh, Jesus, wanting to investigate who Jesus is and what he's done for them. There's a whole group of people that put this on. You know what that does? It just, it excites me. It lifts my eyes to the reality that people need to know Jesus. I've got another photo. That's not the one I was thinking about, but there we go. Um, you know, Tawanda and Shupi, you know, as you hear and as you get their prayer requests of, you know, they, they were aiming for 50, but they had to bring all the more chairs in to, so people to hear about the, the sermon in Exodus. You know what that does? It lifts my eyes to what God is doing. God is bringing in people to hear about Jesus. I've got another photo. This is like a potluck. I don't know what we're going to get. Kids church. Kids, kids club. You know, last night, my kids were fighting about who can remember the Bible verse they've been learning in kids church. That is such a gift from God to lift our family's eyes to the things of what he is doing in this world. I'm so thankful for our kids leaders and how they teach our kids all right, we got another one? No more. I had one of um, a photo of election day barbecue. So I'm not sure. Um, there was a group of St. Matt's people set up a, you know, went and bought bacon and eggs and sausage sizzles and, um, you know, gave out pamphlets. In, inviting people uh, to church. You know what they're captured by? They're captured by the reality of Jesus, that every person in their context needs to hear about him. Hanging around there, that fuels the fire within me. It lifts my eyes to see these eternal realities. Week in, week out at church here, isn't that what happens? You know, it may seem insignificant, may seem small, uh, but through the eyes of God, wow, what a weighty, glorious thing we do here, week in, week out, as we hear from God, as we encourage each other, and we encourage each other to lift our eyes to the things that God is doing. That stokes the fire within me. Now, friends, I don't know what your dreams are, but for me, seeing and reflecting on what God is doing, it doesn't it make you want to pause for a moment and think about your own dreams, your own ambitions, 
Are they small, little, me-centric, self-serving dreams? Or are they grand, God-centred dreams? See, friends, maybe today you've had a moment where the rug's been pulled out from you. God has given us a grand view of what he is on about. He's on about his glory, about his salvation going to the ends of the earth. And it has eternal value and it's something worth living and praying for. How about I pray? Heavenly Father, we are so blown away and captured by the servant, Jesus, in which you promised long ago. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, the true Israel, who won salvation for us. We pray that you would work through us to continue your salvation to the ends of the earth. We long for the servant to be given the glory and honour he deserves. Please lift up the name of Jesus that he would be praised here and throughout your world. It's in his name we pray. Amen.